There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 45th anniversary of Saturday Night Fever, which sparked a disco craze when it opened nationwide on December 14, 1977. I spoke to John Travolta when he came to Washington, D.C. to promote his 2019 film, The Fanatic, as well as the 25th anniversary of him playing Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction and memories of playing Tony Monero in Saturday Night Fever and Danny Zuko in Greece. WTOP Entertainment Editor Jason Fraley here with the one and only John Travolta. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we're talking uh, The Fanatic. Um, I just watched it. What about the subject matter uh, of a Fanatic fan? I mean, I'm sure you've been on, on you know, both sides of that one before. Over the day. Well, I, I do um, I do have a, a full knowledge of all the characters in the movie, especially the fan and especially the film actor. So I can look at it from all the sides of the story. Um, but I am a fan by nature. I always, you know, had a, a thing for... Uh, being excited about watching a good artist, a good athlete, a, a, a person that made a difference in the world. I, I would so, you know, I am, uh, I identify with being a fan. This character, however, is, you know, to some degree on the spectrum. And in all fairness to his side, you know, he's just crazy about this movie star that he wants to meet desperately more than anything in the world. And then when the movie star mistreats him, he doesn't know what to do with it because he's on the, he's picked on a lot in life. He's bullied. So when the when the person he loves the most in the world, and at least in his fantasies, mistreats him, he gets confused. Yeah. And then he kind of nukes the, the line of privacy, nukes the line of of of, of, of a moral code of, of you know ethics. Let's say. So in the movie star is a good person. And you see that he's a good person, but he um, isn't a good celebrity. He also has his limits. (laughs) He has his limits, and and he's often um, not observant of this guy. It's like he's not seeing that this is an unusual guy. He just thinks he's a stalker-type fan, but he doesn't realize that there's a little something different about him. So, you know, he could have solved it easily by just signing the... Right. the goods or something as you say all he wanted was an autograph <laughs> and, and and the thing is is he he's also the kind of guy that if the tire's uh flat he kicks the cat yeah. so he's you know moose is the cat in this yeah. in this in this scenario yeah, so absolutely. but uh i just thought it was uniquely written i thought it was had a vision you know fred is so good at you know Fred uh, Durst, who's the director, and he was uh, head of the Limp Bizkit. Of course, and he uh, he he's a brilliant f- a filmmaker, 
but also a great actor. So he was able to improvise with me before we'd start and mm-hmm. kind of inspire the thought process of Moose. And uh, it was a good team together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned um, uh, sort of that you, he was maybe a little on the spectrum. I noticed that I, I was enjoying, my favorite thing watching the movie was watching your different acting choices of things that you would do. Um, I noticed a lot. You rarely made eye contact with people, darting right. eyes around constant. Obviously, that you would kind of have a rocking that you're going on. Take me just from an actor's perspective of when you read that on the page, of you creating these little ticks and little you know mannerisms because that guy is a fully lived in character that you created with your cho- with those little choices you know but how do you That's take true. us into that taking you know those well little- first of all whenever I look at a character I see what does he what is he doing in the movie what and what do I have to justify in his behavior so he does without revealing the the details he does some very extreme acts including invading privacy but the way he does it was so um, uh, not just it was it wasn't just man child innocent, it was a a not a, a clocking of the seriousness of what he has just done. So I thought I have to put him a little more advanced on the spectrum to justify that. Yeah, which I did. But when you do that, then you can create behavior physically that allows you to understand where he's come from and verbal ver- verbiage that. Articulates that too. So the way the style in which he speaks and uh, his physical, uh, the way he walks on his toes, you know, uh, his uh, kind of playing with his ear and smelling it, and all those kinds of things help you understand the, this character visually because yeah. it is a visual medium. And in film, I think it's important to to make a painting. You know, if this is, do you know that one of my favorite parts of the movie is the black screen when it, when the sketches fill yeah, with color, a little with, animation, yeah, with that kind of classical music underneath it, which gives you the haunting ambiance, but it also gives you the Marat Saad kind of slightly demented perspective, yeah, which is, includes this kind of physical behavior. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love those sketches. I'm glad you pointed those out. And that was that, is that a Fred thing or it's is it a Fred thing? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure him working in music videos and stuff before helps that transition a, a lot easier. So yeah. Yeah, he, he. The great thing about Fred is he had a vision, and I think the thing with depicting great directors from ordinary directors is ask them what their vision is, yeah. and. Boom. Either they got one or not. <laughs> they, they either have one or they don't. And you'll be amazed by the amount of people yeah. that cannot articulate yeah. their vision. And it's all about vision. And that's what I've never understood is that if you're, you're going to really call yourself yeah. an auteur, a filmmaker, sure. you, you, you must, as a criteria, yeah. have it. It's not the writing of a book. Sure. It's, it's the creating of yeah. visual of, of yeah. imagery that affects you so in telling the story so when he he was so brilliant at articulating what he wanted and the sketches are one of the you know interesting parts of his vision um that you knew that you were in good hands yeah you know with him and also his ability as an actor to know when something's really good or not absolutely 
I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Well, speaking of auteurs, we're in the 25th anniversary, right, of Tarantino, of Pulp Fiction, uh, which totally, you know just totally shot that adrenaline shot right into your career <laughs> again back in it um just speak on the legacy we're looking 25 years back what is it is it is it the how he moves the pieces around i mean we'd seen that with citizen k and all about Eve. i mean it wasn't the first time but tarantino did it in such a way with that you know you're in the bathroom during the whole standoff but you also get killed in the bathroom right. you can see you walking in the background when they're doing the honey bunny thing you can see you guys walk in just talk about how that you're speaking to the vision all those pieces are all while jumping around for the viewer it's all there it's all part of that cohesive vision what was Quentin's vision in that well um, you know he he's unique in that he is a film student as well he studied film critique and he has his own wild imagination and he has his, a, a way of telling a story uh, that is his own particular um, original vision. So uh, you're just seeing someone who allows you to interpret what you want out of it. You don't know how many times I've asked, "What's in the black right. suit?" You know, um, briefcase. Um, the MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, or what the band-aid means in the back of the character's um, neck and all that. So that's when it, Altman was like that too. Altman left a lot. To your imagination, because it's not doesn't really matter what he's thinking. It matters what what you're you're thinking. So that's part of his his uh, genius, I think. You know. But Vincent Vega itself as a character, how much fun was that to play and do that? Read the off of Samuel and getting to do those back and forth of uh, you know Royale with cheese. Like you look back and just smile, thinking at those moments. Well, those moments. Listen, all the great directors hire an actor because they trust them. And 90%, as Brian De Palma once said, Carrie, is, right? Carrie, is, yeah. is in the casting. Yeah. And if you've cast the right actor, you don't have to worry so much about what they're going to do. You already know what they're going to do, and it's going to be something you like. Um, and with with Quentin, he preferred me only because he felt I was perhaps a more unpredictable actor, which he's not wrong because I don't ever really know completely how I'll interpret something, but this is the difference. He's up for that ride, right. and a lot of directors don't want to be up for that ride. Yeah. He said, when I hired you to do Vincent Vega, I had no idea how you were going to do it. He said, and then I started getting a sense of how you're going to do it, and I let you go, and he said, when you were moving slow and stuffing and talking differently mm-hmm. and Having, he said, I didn't really know what exactly what you're doing. Then I realized you were playing the heroine, and then I realized you're doing this. Yep. And so, the the his genius is really trusting the actor and allowing them to do how they feel it it should be. You awesome. know. 
well, my listeners are going to kill me if I don't, at least briefly before we go, ask about the two uh, <laughs> dance music crazes, you know, Saturday Night Fever and Grease. Um, sure. and let's start with Saturday Night Fever really fast. I know we're on the clock. Um, when you're doing that strut down the beginning and Badham directing you to do that, I know Staying Alive with Bee Gees was, you know, was written for the movie, but do, is there a scratch track you're doing that? Like, no, the, we had we had a, a when those like a boombox playing right. <clears throat> in those days, and I had a debate with um, with uh, Stigward, who produced it. He wanted me to do my solo, big solo dance to um, to Staying Alive, and I said, "No, it's too slow." Staying alive, yeah. staying alive. I said, "But what I could do is walk down the street in the beginning of the movie to that." Oh, so he wanted you to do it in the disco yes. later. Oh, okay. I said, "But I can't. I can't. You could do." You can't do the kind of solo I've been working on for nine months sure. with that music. You, you, I said maybe something like more like you should be dancing. Yeah. <clears throat> you should be dancing. Yeah, that yeah. I could, I could yeah. move to that with sure. a little more um, uh, um, speed than 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 strutting. But I said, but that staying alive song is a strut song. Right. So he said, okay, fair enough. If you do. The strut down the street with that, then I'll let you do the solo with um, with you should be dancing. So that was all you. Nice, you you bargained. You did a trade. That's perfect. All right, and then closing it out in Greece. Um, I love it. I just smile thinking about that movie. Um, Summer nights. Whose idea was it to do that up falsetto on the the last one? The nah. Is that you? That seems like something you would bring to it. Well, (laughs) in all fairness, it was written into the song. Because I did the Broadway show yeah. and the road show, not as Danny, but as Duty. Right, right. But a classic um, uh, lick of the 50s songs were all those high falsettos. So even Barry Bostick, who originated the role uh, in New York, did the high falsetto at the end as a reflection of the authentic 50s yeah. uh, music. Do you know? Yeah. The Four Seasons and other groups that were popular of the time all used that high falsetto you know absolutely it's great i i just love it and it's just fantastic and i know they're giving me the cue so thank you so much for taking the time to join us again everybody check out the fanatic thanks so much it was a pleasure meeting you sir my pleasure thank you you're (laughs) awesome Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. Explain your DNA on on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. 
Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast DC.